Well, good morning. You know, when I went off to college, my dad gave me the kind of the, the old family car, and he said, son, whatever you do, make sure you do your regular maintenance on this car. You're going to be tempted because you have other expenses to diminish the importance of car maintenance. You can put it off for a time, but it will come back to bite you, like regular oil changes, that kind of stuff. So, so I took his word, and, and I've, for the course of my life, done car maintenance stuff. But I've talked to people who haven't, and it, no big deal, no big deal. And all of a sudden, you got a major repair, you got a major problem, because you diminished the, the, the importance of maintenance on your car for, for some other expenses. Well, there's a lot of uh, competition for our affection, for our time, for what matters to us. And when we get in all the stuff, the job, the kids, the pursuing whatever we're pursuing, God can slip down that list and we can diminish God. And I want us to think about what happens when we do that. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and open it to Malachi. We're actually going to start in chapter 2, the very last verse in chapter 2, verse 17, and go through the end of the book and wrestle with the question, what happens when we diminish God? As was mentioned in the highlights, we're, we're doing a Living a Legacy series. This is the fourth one in four weeks in the book of Malachi. And Malachi starts because the, the people have grown apathetic towards God. In, in Malachi 1, verse 2, the Lord says, I have loved you. And the people push back, but how? How have you say you've loved us? And God goes on to, to show through a variety of things, the sacrifices they're offering, the priest's view of the word, their view of marriage, that, that they are not people who are, are valuing God. And as we think about living a legacy, we want to be people who value God, who, who treasure Him above all, because more than what we do, legacy, living a legacy starts with our heart. And so as God concludes His word to these people through the book of, through the prophet Malachi, um, His word is timeless, and it's, it's worthy of our consideration today. So here's what chapter 2, verse 17 says. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And as we've seen uh, throughout this book, God will make a charge, and, and the people will disagree. Here's what they'll say. Yet you say, how have we wearied? And God, you say, you wearied me with your words, and God said, I'm not buying. These people are saying, I'm not buying it. How? God says, okay, l- l- let me show you. I- I'm-, I'm just going to quote you on the things you've said to show how you're wearying the Lord. Second part of verse 17, in that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of of the Lord, and he delights in them. You see what they're saying? God says that everyone that does evil is good, and, and God actually delights in those people. So they're, they're saying, God, you, your value system, your sense of evil, right and wrong, it's turned upside down. You're saying about God that, that he's calling evil people good. And delights in those people. You're saying, God's messed up. His value system's messed up. But that's not it. Second, very last part of verse 17. Or, where is the God of justice? God says he's just, but he's not. They're calling the very character of God into question. God says he's just, he's not. God has a messed up value system. Why? Why? Why would you do that? 
Well, they're trying to diminish God. They're trying to make God subservient to them. How? By assailing who he is. God isn't all he said he is. God isn't, doesn't, isn't who he makes himself out to be. He, his, his value system is messed up and he's not just. Why do they want to do that? They want to bring God down so they don't have to listen to him. So they don't have to put up with them. Well, God has a response to those words. Here we go. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So God says, I'm going to show up in a special way, but I'm going to send a forerunner before me. Now, is this Malachi? We don't know. Is it somebody else? But God says, then I'm going to show up in a unique way. And that's what the next verse says. And then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's where they went to meet God. God says, I'm going to show up in, in a unique way. And I've got a forerunner before me. He's getting you ready for my coming. Was it Malachi the prophet? Was somebody else? We're not sure. Now, this, this, these words had an immediate fulfillment, and, but they had a future fulfillment. And 400 years later, after the book of Malachi, there would be no prophetic word for 400 years until John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus, came. And God showed up in a very unique way at that time. So there's a future fulfillment, but it has a, a fulfillment in the moment. And, second part of verse 1, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the messenger of the covenant gets all kinds of play with the scholars. Who or what is the messenger of the covenant? Best guess is this. When Israel entered the promised land, right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God gave a, a list of curses and a, a list of blessings. If, if you dis- disobey me, you'll deal with these curses. If you, if you obey me, you, you'll live these blessings. And there seemed to be an angel of the covenant who would deal out the blessings or the curses. And that this is the best guess, that this messenger, these people are, again, living under this covenant, and they will live either the blessing or the, the curse of following God or, or disobeying him. What we know is, telling these people, God says, I'm going to show up in a very unique way. And here's what he says about his coming. Uh, but who can endure the day of his coming? Well, the, the answer is rhetorical, nobody. And who can stand when he appears? Well, nobody. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. God says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to deal with the sons of Levi. That's the priests. God always started uh, with, with the spiritual leaders. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to purify them. I, I'm going to turn up the heat. And, and what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to, that heat is going to bring out the impurities. What would be the impurities? The, the things that are more important than God. The things that would cause these people to want to diminish God. He said, I'm, I'm going to do something on the inside. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. You know, when Jesus came to earth, his conflict was not with the sinners. His conflict was with the Pharisees, was with the religious leaders. My people who are supposed to be leading spiritually are not. And he called them out. At one point he called them whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. Notice here, he, he's starting with the sons of Levi. 
And I think that tells us that God's going to start when he comes. He's going to start with his church. Oh, all those people out there. No, no, people in here. So God's coming uh, to rearrange priorities, to do a work on the inside, that people would have a different value system. But that will be involve heat. That will be uncomfortable. That will be unpleasant in some ways. And some people might resist that. I don't want any part of it. And they may push back on it. Verse 5 speaks to that. He says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. After this purifying process, I'm going to draw near for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely. Against those who oppress the wage earner and his wages and the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I'm going to bring judgment for those who resist me. I'm going to start with the sorcerers, those that would be people that seek God some other way besides his means. In this case, it was his revelation in the temple. In our case, it's, it's, it's through Jesus Christ. They go through the occult. They go through some other spiritual channel. God says, I'll judge those people. It says the adulterers, those who are not taking their marriage covenant seriously, I, I'll, I'll judge them. And then I'm going to get the perjurers, those who swear falsely. When you've got a system without God, you, you upset justice, you, you, you mess with the court system, you have people say things that aren't true. And God said, I'm going to judge those who take advantage of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner among you. God said, I'm going to bring judgment for those who resist me. So we've got a people that are seeking to diminish God, and God says, no, 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 that, that's going to stop. That's going to turn around right now. So what happens when we diminish God? Here it is. He gives us an opportunity to restore him as a priority. Then he judges us. He gives us a, a moment, an opportunity, a time to reevaluate, to consider our priorities. And then he brings judgment. Well, Andy, how much time? How long? I, I can't tell you that. What does that look like, that, that restoration process? What it, I, I don't know. But let's not mess with the Lord. Let's, let's not be trivial. Let's not put him off. The time to respond is now. That being said, God is a patient God. Here's what he says in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Oh, in what way? Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Israel has a history of resisting God, and, and he has been patient with his people. He is, continues to be patient. At some point, his patience runs out, but he's a patient God. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from me, from my statues, and have not kept them. So you're, you're in this long lineage, this line. Return to me, and I will return to you. That's the whole point of the book of Malachi. Return to me. You're apathetic, if not antagonistic. Return to me. We want to be people that live a legacy. Return to God. But you say, here they go challenging a God again, how? How shall we return? We think we're already there. Why, why would you say that? God says, okay, you want an example? I'll give you one. Here we go. Verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. But you say, how? How have we robbed you? Again, challenging him. God says, in tithes and offerings. People were required to give 10% of what they made, and they were special offerings. They were holding back on that. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now here's the challenge to the people. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. That's what God used to feed the priests, their, their tithe. And test me 
Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what God's saying to the people. You're holding back. I'm testing you. I'm calling you out. Bring the full tithe, the full 10%. And there's a bunch of offerings. I won't go through them all. Uh, Meet the offerings and see, see if I don't bless you for it. You can't outgive me. It's not like God needs our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But God says, see if you don't do that, if I don't open the storehouse of blessing. And probably in this context, it's talking about rain. In verse 11, he says, see if I don't get rid of the devourer. It's talking about the pests that eat their crops. You're holding back when it's my hand that provides you life. Test me. Give fully. See, what our giving does is it tells us what do we think about God. It tells us how much of a priority he is or isn't. Many of you give generously, and and we're grateful for that. But anytime you give to North Point or some other minister, you know what that says? You're saying no to something else because you think the kingdom of God is that valuable. You're saying no to another time out. You're saying no to a new car. You're saying no to a bigger vacation experience for a lesser one. You're saying no to something to give to the Lord. And the degree to which we do that tells us how much of a priority God is or isn't. So one of the reasons we don't do it is God's not a priority. We, we want other stuff. We think other things will bring us life. Now here's where I get hung up in my giving. I, I, I don't think I'm a materialistic person at all, but I want to save money. See, I came from a, a family. My parents grew up in the Depression, and man, my parents, want, you, you had to cover every, every contingency. So I save, 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 save. But you know, if I think ultimately my future security is in my savings, I'm sadly deluded. If I don't think a cancer or a job loss or something could come along and wipe out all we've got, I'm foolish. But that's the challenge for me. I've got to, got to save. I don't. And, and God says, that there's a tension there. Yeah, you, you build a savings thing, but, but you're first called to be generous. And, and what keeps me from, has kept me in the past from being Giving more freely is, 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 is my fear of the future, my fear that God can't handle it. I don't think he's enough for whatever comes in my future. So my question is, what does your giving say about you making God a priority? That's what God's saying to these people. Return to me. How? In your giving. It will say, I'm a priority. And, and he's calling, test me. Now, is that a dollar for dollar, Andy? God's going to match it. He's going to give me 50% more. I, no, I'm not going to put in that. But see if God doesn't open up the store of blessings when you give. After saying this, he, he returns to what he said earlier. He, he returns to their own words to show that they're still heart of hearts. Here's what he says, heart of heart. Verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Here They're going to test it again, contest it. They say, yet, what have we spoken against you? 
God says, fine. Verse 14, let me tell you what you said. You have said, it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts, mourning for our sin. You say, this is what you say among yourselves, it's foolish to serve God. You're making God a priority. You're sacrificing for God. You're, 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 you're naive. That's a bad decision is what you're saying. Shows your heart's far from God. Verse 15, here's what else you say. So now we call the arrogant, those who thumb their nose at God, we call them blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. So you can thumb your nose, you can mock God, and you can get away with it. That's the word among you. You've so diminished God, you've so brought God down, you said, go ahead, don't worry about serving him, thumb your nose at him. It's That's tough about judgment. No big deal, don't worry about it. Those are foolish words. That's what God says you're saying. That's your attitude. Now, not everybody who's listening to Malachi is like that. There are people who are fearing him. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God says, I'm coming. And there are some of you who are fearing God and you will be spared the judgment. Others of you are not fearing God. You will not be. And he talks about a book of remembrance. Somewhere, probably metaphorical, God has written down in the time of Malachi who's in and who's out. And again, this foreshadows when we look at the book of Revelation, something called the book of life. It says God will open that and, and it, it will read the names there. There's an actual book, I'm not sure about that, but it's a picture of God knows who's in and who's out. So it's not like he looks out at you and goes, eh, I'm not, I'm not sure. Not sure. You're a little shaky, kind of yesterday he was in, today he's out. Not, not sure. See, when Jesus came, he was very clear that he came to give life. Um, John, who was one of his disciples, wrote, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then he goes on to say, these things I've written to you in order that you may know you have life. Well, if you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now because it's in trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin that we can know we will spare judgment. Not because we're good, not because we're great, but because we're in Christ. All of us, at one point or another, have diminished God and it's Jesus who allows us to be right with God and changes our value system, working from the inside out. Some final thoughts on the, the contrast um, of those who follow and reject God. In Malachi 4, 1 to 3, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and that day that is coming will set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch. I'm going to put down those who reject me. But for those who fear my name, the son of righteousness with healing in its wings, he will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. 
Remember, calves in the stall are penned up, and all of a sudden they're released, and there's a freedom. That's what he's talking about for those who follow him. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Probably there was some tension between those who feared God and didn't. And those who feared God were perhaps feeling like a minority, feel like they're being put down. God says there's going to be a day when that's all turned around. And in fact, in verses um, five, 4, 5, and 6, it talks about um, the final events around his return. So we talked about living a legacy. And you know, I, I think what we need to remember as, as we look at the book of Malachi is, is God is a God of grace. And specifically, as we look at this passage, all of us, in one way or another, have diminished Jesus. He, we haven't made him what he should be. And if we all walk out of here guilt-ridden, we've missed the point. The point is, we need the work of Christ to change us from the inside out. Maybe Jesus' closest disciple was Peter. And Peter promised Jesus, hey, at your crucifixion, pal, I am with you. And says, Jesus, Jesus said, no, in, in fact, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And in the heat of the moment, that's what Peter did. One time it was a servant girl whose testimony wouldn't even count in a court of law. And he cursed and he denied Jesus. He diminished Jesus. He didn't think Jesus had enough to handle that situation. Okay, but after he resurrected, Jesus met Peter and restored him. If you're a person like me that has diminished God, diminished Christ in, in one way or a number of ways, we need to know that there's restoration for that. We will be people who live a legacy and leave a legacy to the point that Christ is a priority in our life. But we need Christ himself, his spirit working on our inside, changing our priorities, changing our value system, you know, that we can move him up our priority list. We don't want to be people that diminish. Jesus wanted people that exalt him. Ask the work of the Holy Spirit to do that in your life, that we could be people that do end up living and leaving a legacy. Uh, when I was a little boy, the, um, my parents took us to see the movie Patton. I don't know how many of you have seen Patton. It stars George C. Scott. And the movie opens, and he, he walks on stage, and he starts speaking to you in the audience like you're the soldiers. And he's giving you a pitch on why it's good to be in the army, soldier. And it's, it's a long, profanity-laced tirade, so there'll be no movie clip here. But he gets near the end of it, and he says, someday, when your grandchild's sitting on your knee, and he says to you, granddaddy, what did you do during the great World War II? And Patton, again, is making the case that you want to be a soldier. You don't have to say, I shoveled coal in Louisiana. Now, he uses a different word for coal. But his point was, you did something significant. You being in this army, you're going to be part of the army that defeats Nazi Germany and drives all the way and and crushes the evil empire. You're not going to be back in the coal mines. You're, You're on the front line. You're doing something significant. Well, God is waging a battle to defeat evil, much, much worse than Nazi Germany. And he's calling you and me and us as a church to be a part of that, moving that kingdom forward here in Lincoln, in Haiti, and around the world. 
We have a chance to live a legacy, and if we live a legacy, we have a chance to leave a legacy. Will we be those kind of people? Or will we be people that diminish God? When we diminish God, we lose that chance. And God will come, mess with our priorities, change them. If we resist that, he'll judge us. If not, we can be people at the end of our life, 60, 80 years, whatever God gives us, who've lived a legacy and left a legacy. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're uh, grateful for the challenge. And uh, the people of Malachi's day uh, remind us of us, tendency to walk away, tendency to diminish God, to make him subservient so he can serve our wishes rather than us serving him. Oh Lord, would you empower us to be uh, people that exalt Jesus. Can we be people that live a legacy, that we might leave a legacy. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.